What's going on, people? It's your boy Kelechi back with another episode of the Rambling Mind Podcast. How y'all doing today? I hope y'all have had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful weekend. Thank y'all for coming by. Thank y'all for listening to this podcast. I appreciate each and every single one of you that have returned to listen to this podcast and all those who are listening to this podcast for the first time. I just say thank you for stopping by and checking out what we got going on around there. I appreciate y'all coming in to listen to this podcast. We've had a lot of new folks around here. I appreciate y'all coming through and listening and checking out the podcast. As always, you can always reach out to me on any of my socials, whether it be on Instagram or on Twitter. Let me know how you like these podcasts, if you like these podcasts, and how I can possibly improve this podcast. You can leave a review on any of your favorite podcast listening apps. I'll really appreciate it so I can see how I can improve this podcast. But how are y'all doing today? It's been a nice little laid back weekend for me. Well, it was it was laid back for the most part. My uh, sister and my mom came into town, so that was dope. I was able to like chill with them, and really, I just slept through most of the time that they were here. There's just something about like when your family comes to town, you just get super lazy. Like I don't know, maybe it's not the same for everybody else, but when my mom is around, I get super lazy. I don't want to do anything for myself. I'm just like ah. Is my mom is here. I don't want to do anything. So I don't feel like doing anything. And so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sleep. And so my, my mom was here and I just didn't feel like doing. I lost all any drive to try and do anything or do any extra effort stuff. She was here and she was just. Uh, my mom is special. I love my mom. My mom is. She's dope. She's dope. But, you know, she's she's she, she can be a little extra sometimes. But she's dope. But anyway. It was good just being here with the family. We went to one of our aunt's uh, 40th birthday celebration. That was that was fun. It was good seeing them. I haven't seen them in a really long time, and so it was just good to to just see my mom and see some old pe- see some people that I haven't seen in a while. And it was just a, overall a good weekend as a whole. It was a good weekend. I hope everyone else had a great weekend. I hope you guys were able to relax if you needed to relax, or you were able to get what you needed to get done done. Because you know. Weekends can be a time to get stuff done as well. But anyway, let's get right into the news or get right into some of the topics for today. The first one I'm going to talk about is the Federal Reserve and some of the moves that they are making for the economy to keep on stimulating the economy because of this whole trade war situation. They have to do certain things to make sure that the economy is still doing what it needs to do. So we'll start off with the New York Federal Reserve injecting $75 billion into the United States financial system. Um, it added an emergency $53.2 billion on Tuesday and then injected an additional uh, this was last week and injected an additional 22 billion later on in the week. The goal of these injections into the, into the system was to basically get critical short-term lending rates back to normal levels for the repurchasement of, uh, repurchase, repurchase agreement market. So basically the repurchase agreement market, this is not just injecting the money into like, um, into just society as a whole. That's different. They didn't just inject money into where you can just go to the bank and get money or something like that. That that would mess up inflation and that would mess up how we spend our money and all that good stuff. But this injection was specifically for the repurchase agreement market, which is 
the market that major hedge funds used to bar, uh, borrow money from so they can do their daily stock trading so they can do their daily market trading and so it's not money that regular people will see it's not money that you and i will see it's money that these big investment companies and these huge hedge fund companies use to do day tra uh, stock trading that investors use for investing in companies to buy new stocks to sell stocks stuff like that so the money was getting pretty low and they needed to uh boost the system because there's a lot of confidence waning within within the economy right now because of the trade war situation a lot of people don't know exactly what's going on with the with the trade war and so investors are scared to make moves and stuff like that so this was a way for them to kind of get people if there's more money available for people to do those daily trading they're gonna be able to do that and so, and they haven't done this since 2008. And we all know what happened in 2008. That's when we had the recession and the housing crisis. And they haven't injected this much money since then. So it kind of gives you a sign of where the economy is right now. Even though the economy is good, but it's good because of consumer spending, not because of investing and stuff like that. So they're trying to look for ways to boost investor spending, to boost investors looking into spending more money on companies and stuff like that and so they're one of the ways they're doing that is by injecting more money so they have more money available to be able to make their daily stock trade now the second biggest move that was done the second big move not biggest i alluded to it on in the last podcast on tuesday talking about how we expect jerome powell the head of the Federal Reserve to come out, the U.S. Federal Reserve, to let us know if he will be uh, reducing interest rates. And he did do that. He reduced it by a quarter point, a quarter point percentage point. And so this was the second time that he has reduced interest rates this year. And the reason he said that uh, he reduced interest rates is because of the uncertainties over the global economy as a whole. The trade war, boiling tensions in the Middle East, and cooling economies in China and in, the, in Europe. Even though, like, overall, the economy still looks good, but at the same time, they just need to make sure that we keep helping the economy grow, at least from the Federal Reserve's uh, side of things, to make sure the economy remains strong so we don't have a situation where we have a recession coming into, into play and all that kind of stuff. So, along with that, we also have FedEx who announced their earnings last week. Now, the big deal about FedEx announcing their earnings, why I'm picking on FedEx announcing their earnings, FedEx is what they like to see in the business sector and in investing world as a leading indicator of where the global economy is because FedEx serves so many different countries on, and it's from here to China to everywhere. It serves so many different places. And so you can kind of get an idea of what's going on with the global economy based on how FedEx is doing. And FedEx is not doing so hot. Uh, one of the things they found was FedEx actually had lower earnings than expected. And also FedEx reduced their earnings for the next two years. And they cited trade war as one of the big issues saying that they don't know how the trade war situation is going to pan out. And then it also shows that consumers are starting, not consumers, but businesses are starting to not ship out as much goods to other countries. They're more likely to keep good goods in-house rather than try to ship it out to other countries and export goods out because of the trade tensions because of the tariffs that are put on all these products and so we're seeing a whole uh, those effects starting to trickle into the overall system and so it's one of those things where it is one of the biggest indicators of where we are right now think of it as if you're looking to the sky and you see clouds in the sky and the clouds is how we tell okay rain is about to fall 
Well, FedEx is our predictor. FedEx is our clouds. And right now, it's saying we ain't getting no showers of blessings this time around because these trade tensions and all this stuff is really getting in the way of them being able to predict a good future. And so they have to reduce a lot of their uh, future earnings of what they expect to make because they don't know how companies are going to uh, handle the tariffs or they don't know if a trade deal is going to be, is going to come about with China and the U.S., which are two of the biggest economies in the world. But anyway, moving on from there, we're going to go right into another topic. And I've been talking about this for a minute and I'm talking about how companies and not necessarily government are the ones that are going to lead the charge in a lot of different aspects, in a lot of different spheres, especially a lot of social economic things and a lot of environmental stances and a lot of environmental policies and stuff like that is going to be companies that are making that those decisions because of pressures from con- uh, consumers and because of pressures from their employees themselves and on that note amazon just released a climate pledge the pledge is to get 80 percent of amazon's energy use from renewable sources by the year 2024 and amazon also asked other companies to join in and to to do the same by 2040 to get most of their energy use from renewable resources by 2040, which is 10 years ahead of the Paris Agreement. And the Paris Agreement is an agreement of multiple of United Nations to deal with uh, the climate issues, to, to deal with the environmental issues that we have. And it's to hold companies accountable to to some kind of standard, because one of the things that always happens, as we're seeing, is you have one government in place or one party takes over and then they either throttle back, as we've seen with uh, President Trump, where they throttle back a lot of the restrictions that were put on companies before. And then another president comes in place and he hypes back up the restrictions that are put in there. So the, the Paris Agreement is a way to basically just make an agreement that all nations have to follow. Well, companies that join those things have to follow and abide by. The U.S., I believe, is not in that agreement anymore. The U.S. kind of pulled out of it. But they're going to be meeting, I believe, in New York on Monday for the for a new uh, U.N. Paris Agreement to be set for new standards and to push companies and world leaders to curb greenhouse gases. So it's something we can expect to hear more about coming up this uh, coming up tomorrow. At the time I'm doing this, I'm doing this podcast on Sunday, so... We'll talk more about these things uh, on on the next podcast, but it's just interesting to note that Amazon is moving, uh, is making this pledge without any pressure being applied to them. But it's not because Amazon cares about the environment. It's not because Amazon is just getting all lovey-dovey with Earth or because they just all of a sudden had a change of heart that they need to just do more. It's because they're being pressured from all kinds of sides, from different businesses, from different policies, from different agencies. I mean, they're being investigated by FTC, which is the Federal Trade Commission. They're being investigated by the DOJ. They're being investigated. They have already been fined by the EU. And so it's uh, by the, by. Anyway, let me break down the acronyms. I said DOJ, which is the Department of Justice. EU is the Euro- European Union. And each one of those are coming at them for antitrust reasons. Just because of what I told uh, talked to y'all the last time when they found out that they tweaked their algorithm to push their goods forward. It's an antitrust thing. They are not allowed to do that at, in, the, in the sphere and in the game that they play. They can't just cheat to push themselves ahead of other competitions to make themselves stand out more. But... So this is a way for them to kind of, it's a good PR move for them. It's a good way for them to stand out, to say, hey, we're trying to do something for the economy or not for the economy, for the environment. We're trying to make it better. We're doing more than other companies are doing. In fact, we're even 
pushing other companies to join us on this walk. Like, look, we even signed a deal with Rivian. By the way, Rivian is an electric truck company. It hasn't started selling trucks yet, but Amazon signed a deal with Rivian to buy over a hundred thousand trucks for them from them fully electric so they can make this move. So it's, it's a good PR stunt to say, Hey, check us out. We are doing good things over here. We're trying to help the environment. We're trying to do all this stuff. Now, on the other hand of that is another news that came out of this is, on thir- on Friday, about 1,500 employees took a global climate strike, which was led by a 16-year-old Greta Thunberg. And um, basically, this is one of the things they're facing. Like I said, employees and consumers are very much concerned about the environment as a whole. And so it's forcing the hand of companies, not necessarily to just wait for the government to implement something, but to self to self-regulate themselves so they can do the right thing because consumers are care about that stuff and it forces CEOs and it forces board of directors and it forces these companies to do what they have to do. Not what they want to do, but what they have to do. And speaking of the global climate strike that was led by a 16-year-old, which just blows my mind thinking a 16-year-old led, it was like over, I think it was over 7,000 companies joined the strike. Uh, Google had over 900 employees walk out to join the strike. So it's just that it was just crazy to just see a 16 year old lead something like that. And when I was 16, man, I was playing video games. I was over there at home, staying up to 3 a.m. trying to play video games, playing Call of Duty, playing FIFA, all these games, which I still play some of them today. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie. But it's just crazy that a 16 year old was able to lead, lead this entire organization organized group of people for this global strike to bring attention to the to to climate control to bring attention to climate issues to put that back in scope and put that focus for businesses to say we will do more to focus on this thing even though the government may not be pushing for this thing right now may not be focused on this thing right now but as companies as a whole like i said over seven thousand companies joined to either donate or allow their workers to take that strike and to join in that movement to say we pledge to do better. But the big thing about the Amazon pledge is, once again, it is a pledge. They're not being held to that standard by anybody. It is them coming down on their own to say that by 2024, 80% of our energy will be renewable resources. Now, the big thing, like I said, is they're saying that on their own. In other words, in the future, they can change their minds. There's nothing that says that they can't change their minds. It's good PR stunt for now. It helps ease the uh, tension about all the other stuff that they have to deal with, with all the investigation that's going into them. But in the future, they can always say, well, we didn't, we can't really hit that goal anymore by 2024. So we're just going to push this out to 2030 and all that kind of stuff. Because one of the things is Amazon is going more and more into the logistics industry. And the logistics industry is one of the biggest green uh greenhouse pollute uh polluters because fedex with the planes and with the trucks and all that kind of stuff that's a big polluting source and so amazon has kind of gotten a little bit of pressure from that because of these things which is why they signed to deal with rivian to try and push uh invest in rivian and push them forward to be able to generate these trucks that they need in the future to be able to hit this goal but anyway let's move on from there to some good news. So Airbnb, we all know what Airbnb is. You know, you're going somewhere, you don't want to buy a hotel room. It's a little bit cheaper. You get, you get your Airbnb app and you apply and you sign your this thing up. Anyway, everybody knows how to use Airbnb. I don't need to explain it, but they are planning to go public in 2020. 
and at its last valuation basically a valuation is when a company um when the experts come together and determine what the value is for a company and that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with i mean it has part partially it has to do with their uh the profitability of the company but that's not the total um body of the valuation uh, part of it is the profitability of the company at this moment in time, but it's also like, how big do you think this company can grow? How much more profit do you believe this company can get to is what basically evaluation is. And at the last time it was valued, which I believe it was earlier this year, it was valued at $31 billion. Now, the good thing is Airbnb is one of the few startups that has been profitable for a long time. In second quarter only, they they in their earnings report, they announced $1 billion in earnings, which is amazing for, for a, a, a relatively young company. I think it's like, what, three to four years old? And it's been able to keep growing and growing. So the valuation, we believe the valuation is going to be higher than $31 billion. They're thinking it's probably going to be closer to that $50 billion mark. So... This is one of the few companies that it's a good investment. It's one of the few small companies that is about to go public that you should uh, look at maybe investing in because it will be as of right now. And don't take my word for anything. I'm not I'm not somebody that is going to get trade advice from. Don't look at me for that one. Don't, don't do that. But it is looking like one of the beneficial companies that you can invest in. But as this year has shown us, We've had a lot of superstar startup companies that ended up just being a fledgling role player, just like Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard, you know, he was a superstar at one, t- at one point. Now he's a journeyman trying to just get, get, get along. And we've seen that happen with Uber and with Lyft. And we've seen it ha- about to happen with WeWork, where it was valued at over $57 billion. And now that valuation has less than half and when they wanted to announce to go public it was going to be about 27 billion dollars and so they just decided not to go public so they can go back and one of the problems that both all three of these companies have is they're not profitably profitable at all uber is losing money lyft i think lyft just finally had a little bit of profit but they're losing money too and WeWork is losing all kinds of money as well so we're rooting for Airbnb and we hope that they keep on chugging along and doing great things. But as of right now, a lot of the startups that went public, their, their stock started up so high and it just fell off a cliff. It just fell off a cliff. I think uh, Lyft lost over, I think it was 80% of its announcement and it just, of its initial valuation when it was announced. And Uber lost, I think, 50% once it was announced. By the way, those numbers are not necessarily accurate. I'm going off the top of my head. I can't remember exactly what their valuation was that they lost. But it just shows you how like you can go from superstar startup to be a bench warmer and be a just trying to get into the game type of player. Just be a typical role player, typical uh, typical stock that people can invest in or a lot cheaper and not one that stands out to actually be like, the, the Googles of the world and to be like the apples of the world, even though you may be disrupting a market, it doesn't mean that you're actually going to be able to be profitable on the back end. So it's just something to note as far as that is concerned. Now, moving on from there, we have some more news talking about this jewel situation, talking about e-cigarette situations. It just seems like every week there's an update with the situation where more and more and more either companies or governments or whatever 
are discontinuing their sale of e-cigarettes or banning e-cigarettes, period. And Walmart just announced that they are discontinuing the sale of e-cigarettes. Not just last time we talked about non-flavored variants being dis, uh, being banned in Michigan and the Trump administration looking to ban it across the U.S. as a whole. And now Walmart is just saying, ah, you know what? No dice. We don't want to deal with this situation anymore. We don't want to deal with e-cigarettes as a whole. There's just too much stuff going on with it, too much regulations. There's no specific uh, restrictions that have been told to us specifically of how we can sell this product. We're getting too much information from the government. Too many different things are happening all at the same time. So you know what? We don't want to deal with this anymore. It's too much of a headache. We give up on e-cigarettes. We don't want to do business with y'all anymore. So Walmart is just completely removing, not just non-flavored, but removing all of it from their stores and they're just not dealing with it anymore. And one of the reasons, one of the biggest issues that's happening with the e-cigarettes uh, problem is the increased rate of teenagers using e-cigarettes. The CDC did a study where 27.5% of high school students said that they use e-cigarettes or vapors in one form or fashion. Now that's the ones that actually said they did. In actuality, when you do these kind of studies, the numbers is usually a lot higher than what you're able to acquire from studies. So just think about that. 28% of teenagers are vaping and are using e-cigarettes. And it's one one of those things where uh, people have just been thinking like, I've been trying to force people away from, from cigarettes. And now e-cigarettes is coming up and taking over that that arena, that taking over that little that little bubble. And it's like the cool thing to do. And like I said, it's the same thing. They tried to say that the advertising was to say it's an alternative for people who smoke. But in all honesty, the way they advertised it, the way they showed it off, the way they made it look so cool, it was a lot more targeted to the younger generation of, of people to make them say, oh, you'll be cool if you did it, if you do this thing, just like they did with cigarettes, where they were targeting it in, in, to the younger people to make them say, like, if you do this thing, you will be cool. Like, this is what cool people do. And so it just really, is one of those things where now a lot of businesses and a lot of things are like super against it, especially after the CDC found that eight people have died from some some uh, some form of disease that is related to this thing, and 530 people have been diagnosed with the same problem. So there's a lot of stuff going on behind the doors where they're still trying to figure out the regulations of how to make this product work. In India as a whole, they have banned the product. So like in India as a whole, they've already banned e-cigarettes. They're just saying, you know what? We don't want our young people to deal with this thing. We're not letting it into our country. In China is the same thing. They didn't ban it as a, uh, they didn't ban it. But however, companies like Alibaba, which is like one of the bigger express, uh, express sales of things in China just said, we're not going to be dealing with e-cigarettes and we're not going to sell jewel or any of these products to our people. So we're seeing the e-cigarettes industry kind of get kind of crushed a little bit. Because it's supposed to have been an industry that over the next two years was going to be worth like, I think, $60 billion or something like that. But now it seems like that's not probably going to happen anymore. The U.S. and Iran are on the verge of war because of like we talked about it last time, talking about the drone strikes that they saw from uh, that the U.S. believed was done by Iran. And then they were able to prove that it was done by by Iran and not just some rebels who who are against the Saudi government or anything like that. So now the U.S. has already, President Trump has already announced that we are ready to go to a war at any point in time. And is this head button thing that's about to happen? They're on the verge of war. We're hoping that does not get to that. We really hope this does not get to a war. But I was reading 
I was reading an interesting article talking about how this whole situation between the U.S. and Iran began, how the U.S. and Iran, Iran became so hostile towards each other. And it was just breaking down how this has gone back over 50 years. And the only period of time where there was a, beat, a little bit of break and peace was when during the Obama administration, where he was able to get uh, Iran... Russia, China, UK, France, and Germany to sign an agreement where there will be peace. Iran will not keep developing their nuclear arsenal and keep developing all that stuff. And the US will remove sanctions over Iran. But Donald Trump came into office and that whole thing changed. And then it also broke down how 50 years ago, when Iran elected its first ever democratic leader, the US the US CIA organized a coup to enforce a dictatorship to be put back in power so that the US can continue having access to their oil fields, having access to Iran's oil fields just for that purpose. And ever since then, you had a Islamic Republic get fight back to take control of the country because the monarch that they put into power was one of the most evil men that that was in power ever he was just killing people doing all kinds of wrong stuff but the u.s empowered him because the u.s wanted access to that oil field and ever since then that's where the whole clash i believe that was in 1953 and ever since then there's been this major clash between the u.s and iran and that's why i've been on this verge of war and it's always been a problem so now after Obama leaves office, those sanctions that were lifted from Iran with a brief period of peace seems to be going away. And now the U.S. and Iran are once again are going are headbutting and we just hope that it doesn't go to war. Because like I said last time, if Iran goes to if U.S. goes to war with Iran, then Russia is going to come support Iran. And so and that's those are some of the biggest military powers in, in the world, U.S. and Russia. And we don't really want that to happen. But anyway, moving on to some interesting topics. So in an office in Washington, there was, you know, WeWork uh, uh, shared space. Somebody forgot an umbrella at work and then the umbrella fell and jammed the door and nobody could get into the get into the office for like, I think it was a couple of weeks. And they ended up having to drill through the roof of the office to be able to get access to the office because nobody, there was no way they could get into it. It was so, the whole story, if you go look it up, it's pretty funny. It was like, everybody, it was glass doors. So it's like, it's like those moments in time when you forget your key in your car and then you lock the door and then you're like, where are my keys? Where are my keys? And then you turn around and you look at your door, you look in your car and your keys are right there. But you can't get to them because your door is locked and you forgot your keys in the car. That's what they were experiencing because the glass doors, they could see into the office. I saw some of the pictures. They could see into the office. They could see the umbrella jamming the door, but nobody could get in. It was like the biggest tease of all time. I just found that story just so funny and so interesting. And just a couple of sports little sprinkle topics. Uh, I don't know if any of y'all know about the, uh, the Antonio Brown situation. But I would advise everyone, do not do an Antonio Brown. Do not burn bridges that you have with people. Even if you want to leave your employer, even if you don't like where you are, always leave on a good note. You never know when a favor can come help you out. But Antonio Brown, if you haven't been keeping up with the whole situation, so he was a Pittsburgh Steelers player. He's a football player. He was a Pittsburgh Steelers player. And he just was like, causing all kinds of problems in the locker room for them, doing all kinds of stuff. The Steelers tried to take care of him while he was there. 
And they, he just kept on doing all kinds of nonsense. So they were like, all right, fine. They traded him out of that team and they traded him to Oakland. And then in Oakland, he started doing even more nonsense. It started with a helmet fiasco talking about, oh, if I can't play with my old helmet, I'm not going to play at all. And then after that, he started missing meetings. He started doing all kinds of stuff and then throwing his teammates, throwing his managers under the bus, throwing his coach under the bus, posting on Instagram when they find him like for missing the team meeting because that is something that if you miss the team meeting a lot of teams have the policy where they will find you because they want you to show up for stuff like that and so he just skipped out on that and then posted the image of the find that they find him and so finally they were like oakland was like you know what we're done with you we're just gonna cut you and he was like ha 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 that's exactly what i wanted the new england patriots picked him up and then all of a sudden we hear the story about a sex scandal that he had or not a sex scandal but a a sexual assault scan, a scandal where he like did something to somebody. Or we don't know if he did something or not. Allegedly, he did something to somebody. And so now, the New England Patriots cut him as well from the team. And so all of a sudden, we have a situation where he doesn't have a job. He, he's out of the league right now because he burned so many bridges. And just want to use this as a as an example of do not burn bridges. Even if you don't like where you are. Just handle your situation. Like it's, it's like something someone once told me. Appreciate your position while plotting your promotion. Focus on what you have to do today where you are, while at the same time making moves to get to where you want to be. Don't burn those bridges. You never know when it can come into it, it come to help you. Because right now, a lot of teams are gonna look at him and say, "Oh, we don't want that kind of presence in our locker room. We don't want that guy coming around and just doing what he did in Oakland to us as well." So just never leave anywhere with a negative taste in your mouth about you. Just make sure whenever you go anywhere, whatever you do, just make sure people have a positive mindset about you. Even if you are not happy there, even if you don't like what you're doing, even any of that stuff, just take care of the business you need to take care of today. But anyway, that's been a that's been a nice little podcast. I hope y'all have uh, I hope y'all enjoyed it. Hope y'all got something out of this. If you didn't enjoy something in it, let me know. I would really like to improve and learn more and make sure that I'm giving y'all things that you can learn and little nuggets of information that you can pull out of and pick up and run with. But anyway, it's been your boy, Kelechi. God bless y'all and peace. Have a nice week ahead of you.